If you've been writing any time at all, you probably already know this because you've shown your work to somebody. But one thing we have to understand is that as writers, we're going to get criticized. So it's best that we learn to love it. In fact, our best strategy is to ask for it. I had um, been on a book signing tour in the Northwest. My son Cody flew to meet me in Sacramento for a few days of camping. Even as an adult, Cody is not an avid talker, and at 14 he could have passed for a mute. Yet before we drove many miles from the airport, he told me he'd been reading the Bible and that a couple proverbs convinced him fools shun guidance and correction. But wise people not only accept it, they look for it. They go and ask for advice. That comment blessed me with the joy that arose from realizing my son was on his way to a bountiful life. As writers, beyond learning how to live with rejection and criticism, we need to seek out criticism, even though it may feel like rejection. Because we're trying to communicate, we must ask people how well we've communicated our ideas, our passions, and emotions, our worldview. In fact, how well we communicate all that may be the key to our success or failure as writers. But, here are a couple of warnings. Number one, trust nobody. Everybody who reads your work is liable to respond differently. Even in a group of smart, knowledgeable writers or editors, you might get responses ranging from abject boredom to wild acclaim. The graduate school I attended is famous, so good writers apply and go there. I, I went there expecting that most every participant in the workshops would give me wise insights. Most of them didn't. But I didn't need the comments of 15 people. From the critiques of two or three with whom I felt some accord, I learned plenty. Everybody brings his background to his reading. When a reader appreciates my work, I know it could mean she relates for her own reasons. Say we both were raised by our grandmothers, or he may dismiss my story in reaction to something personal, such as a hurt he suffered or a bias with which he has armed himself. A person who grew up with alcoholic parents may bond with a story about a boozer or recoil from it. The odds of an agent or editor accepting a book she reads over coffee in the morning may be higher than the odds of her buying one she reads in moments snatched between phone calls. Suppose several readers point to the same problem. Odds are good your story has failed to communicate the way you'd like it to, but that doesn't mean the reader's suggestions for fixing the problem are correct. They're worth considering, but not necessarily the best way to solve the problem. When critiquing an early draft of a novel by Kevin McElroy, I noted that a certain section dragged along, earning more yawns than the rest of the story. I suggested cutting some details to speed it up. Kevin later told me he'd solved the problem by adding to the section, using more details that made it more gripping. Your task is to listen to critiques with your mind open then ponder each comment as much as it deserves. 
all before you decide whether to revise. And if you decide to revise, consider suggestions, but also look for alternative ways. Suggestions can come from other people, but revisions have to come from you. Another warning. Get to the bottom of it. Rules don't matter. What does matter is the reason for the rule. If you ever teach a freshman composition class and assign a formal essay, you'll find that about half of the students believe they can't use the word I. It's a fact that in student essays, the I can intrude. But that's not because it's a bad word. It's because the usage will normally be something like I think or I believe, which adds absolutely nothing since we can presume that a writer making a statement means she thinks or believes it. But apparently many teachers don't bother with reasons, only with rules. Adverbs are currently out of fashion. Because of this, some editors and writing teachers have made no adverbs a rule. But in doing so, they're snatching away a useful tool. Better to advocate restraint and explain that adverbs fell out of fashion because too many sloppy writers substituted a weak verb and an adverb for a strong verb, which is almost always sharper and more vivid. Every time we encounter a rule, let's contemplate until we discover the reason for the rule. If we know a rule and apply it without understanding, we have discarded a tool from our magic kit. If we know the reason for it, we have discarded nothing. Rather, we have found and now possess another tool.